one of my characters recently the description of them just said wears socks and sandals and i was like yeah that's all you need to know about him <laughs> conveys so much rusty quill presents enthusiasm Hello friends and fans and welcome to Enthusiasm, the show where we talk about a few of our favourite things. I am your host Helen Gould, one of the best rusty quillers. <laughs> Today we're talking about costuming and cosplay and I am beside myself to be joined by Francesca, Mabel and Nemo. So let's do this alphabetically as always. Uh, Francesca, can you please give us your pronouns and tell us what you do? Most certainly. So my name is Francesca and I'm she, they. I play Julia Montauk on the Magnus Archives. Um, and I like that you gave yourself the title of one of the best Rusty Quillers, <laughs> best thing in the world. I'm into it. Um, I'm a drag king. I'm a comedian, improviser. Uh, I do clowning in refugee camps. I facilitate. I direct. I do a whole bunch of stuff. So that's me in a nutshell. That is a whole bunch of stuff. Wow. I didn't even know you did all that. Yeah. Very well done. Okay, and mate, I had to run through the alphabet just then. I was like, just M or N. Just doing the song, just doing the song. Yeah, just a quick bit of the song. Um, Mabel, please give us your pronouns and tell us what you do. Hello. Um, yes, I am Mabel Syrup. Uh, my pronouns are she and her. Um, and I am a drag queen. Um, and also I do other things that are not associated with drag queening and not hugely relevant right now. <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. It is relevant for this episode. And finally, Nemo. What's your pronouns and what do you do? Hello, I'm Nemo. I use they, their pronouns. And for Rusty Quill, I'm the lead writer of a podcast called Trice Forgotten. Should I have talked about the Rusty Quill things that I did? That's fine, right? Oh, yeah, go for it. Yeah. <laughs> Should I just add that now? <laughs> I have also done some voice acting for Rusty Quill. <laughs> Move on with your lives. <laughs> And Nemo, do you do uh, anything else you'd like to mention other than uh, the amazing podcast that you're going to be writing for us? I'm mostly a writer, to be honest. Uh, yeah, so I write theatre and I write podcasts and I produce plays. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, God, I'm so excited to have you on board. Like, I just, I love, I love the whole concept of the show. I'm just generally feeling very enthusiastic today. Yay! Okay. <laughs> So, um, we're going to start with like a nice, e easy, establishing question, which is, what got you into the idea of costuming and clothing as performance? Like, why is that interesting? Why is that something that you decided to look into or pursue? I personally do not do anything with my clothes professionally, but it's something that I'm very interested in in terms of, in terms of how the way you can choose to look can inform your identity and vice versa. And um, the whole thing about gender and identity being a performance is something that I'm super interested in um, and enjoy playing with a lot. That's really cool. Sorry, I just like, that's like almost the entire opposite of the thing, the thing that I love about costumes. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah like on a, on a personal day to day level, I have literally never put any thought it's like jeans t-shirt done whatever <laughs> don't give a damn and like the the thing that i have always loved about costumes since like really really tiny is being a character being mm. a different person mm. who is not me 
like just like being able to put something on and immediately just inhabiting someone else mm. like that's what i love about it it's just sort of like what would this character what would this person wear and why and stuff like that whereas like on my own personal level don't yeah care. <laughs> i couldn't care less it is cool how because i did do a bit of theater like when you wear the character's clothes it completely changes your like entire mannerisms mm. especially if they're not clothes that you would usually wear yeah yeah, yeah. like it, it like it suddenly you just feel open to so many more like ways of being just because you're mm. wearing someone, someone else's clothes it's really cool yes yeah i hear that what about you francesca I feel like in terms of the, of theatrical sense, like I've been performing since I was three, dancing and whatnot. Uh, and mm. at drama school, I kind of developed my process in terms of, I went to a, a method acting Stanislavski in drama school of East 15. And so therefore it was very internal in terms of process, but we did do a lot of Laban. And I discovered that actually for me, the externality was much more useful because I'm quite an esoteric person as it is. So, you know, if I start thinking about what bottle of perfume I am or what calibre of caviar uh, I am <laughs> in terms of personification... I can get a little bit stuck in that. Whereas if I allow my body uh, via the use of Laban or Lecoq or other sort of movement styles, um, if I allow my body to kind of morph into different shapes, I find that costume is an extension of that for me. Mm. One can inform the other. I feel like it's a symbiotic relationship. Like one can inform the other and one can spur the other on. But I think, you know, they, they are very indispensable in regards to uh, each other. But for me as a drag performer, I'm Brent Wood, W-O-U-L-D, because I would anything, literally anything, especially <laughs> you. <laughs> That's his tagline. Um, that was a whole different world for me in so much as I, as a person, have always loved fashion and dressing differently. You know, when I was younger, I was, I'm still very much into metal mm. and rock and punk and stuff. So I felt like the way I dressed as a kid was a very transgressive act. Uh, it was me kind of saying, you know, up yours to the system. <laughs> and I think that when I discovered drag, I've always felt like I didn't inverted commas woman properly, whatever that means. Mm. Uh, and it doesn't mean anything. Of course, it's a, a binary construct. But being allowed the freedom to inhabit that space meant like I got given a lot more slack. So it's been a real like head spinner uh, being able to enter that space. But my character has evolved recently um, and there's a lot more sort of gender... Uh, gender f***ery, if you will, uh, <laughs> with my performance art versus just being a very masculinized thing. But I think it inhabits a range of spaces and, and the clothing is extremely pivotal to that. Mm. Such a long answer. <laughs> Kill no, me. No, it's a great answer. That's really cool. Man. I also, I want to go back a little bit. Can you talk to me as a non-professionally trained person? Can you talk about what, do you say Laban and Lecoq? What, what were those? They're just movement languages or schools of movement. So like Laban... He has some questionable ties now, we realise, to um, the Nazi regime. But outside oh, of that, um, <laughs> his work was really interesting because he created a language for movement. He worked a lot with people who were women, particularly that were in munitions factories and mm. were committing movements that were not their natural flow mm. um, and, and seeing how that had affected them. And it's, you know, when you work as a company or if you work with actors, it's a, a way of talking about movement and intention because you know if a director says to you like be angry like what does that mean culturally in terms of gender in terms of um you individually the family you grew up in anger such like a a nondescript word to say realistically because it has so many different permutations whereas like if you're able to approach something from a more movement effort based 
perspective, I, find, I personally find that that can be a lot more helpful. And I've done a lot of work teaching directors how to do that. And I think costume uh, sort of gets on board with that. And Lecoq is kind of more clowning and movement stuff as well. So again, uh, going into the area of Buffon and uh, the various different sort of iterations of clown. That's absolutely fascinating. I'm going to have to do an episode about theatre because <laughs> like, I don't know. I don't know any of this stuff. These are, wow, that's so. But that's that's totally true. Like, if you ask me to act angry, what I'm going to do is going to be very different to what say. Lowry might do or what Alex might do mm. it's also a very hollow reaction because it's like where did it come from unless you know where you've built from or, mm. or the impetus it's just the performance of a of a an emotion like a kid would do when they're mucking about whereas like yeah. for you to genuinely embody that and to be truthful because acting after all is about telling the truth versus lying I think that's the the common misconception it has to come from a real place wow Gosh, yes, I knew this was going to be a good episode. (laughs) Um, Nemo, talk to me about why you're interested in costumes and cosplay and stuff like that. I feel like mine is very similar to yours, Mm. uh, what you said about like gender play. And I was trying to think of like the first time this would have come up for me. And I was thinking about RuneScape or other like MM... RPGs and stuff like that Mm. and like buying costumes for your characters and as a kid I always bought like uh, male clothing for my characters and always made my character look male or masculine or be wearing like knight's armor and stuff like that so I feel like Mm. it's part of that I'm not a performer myself I'm a writer solidly behind the screens (laughs) Um, will never ever be on stage and also dress like a child like anime (laughs) t-shirts and like the stained shorts of a weeb but um yeah but I really like dressing up my characters and I used to love playing those you know like those games for girls which were like you got a little doll and then you like put them in dolldivine.com yeah I loved all of those (laughs) things I love them so much and it's so weird because like I hate dressing up myself and I hate like (laughs) I hate being looked at (laughs) perceived Mm. um but I do love the I the like yeah the idea of like costuming someone to be a character Mm. and like writing a character and like I know what they're wearing (laughs) one of my characters recently the description of them just said wears socks and sandals (laughs) and I was like yeah that's all you need to know about him (laughs) conveys so much (laughs) exactly I love this. So this means you're coming at it from the other side of the stage, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> the other side of the wings, the other side of the backdrop. Um, yeah, because I often, I often have a very strong idea of what all my characters look like as well. Mm. So when you've done plays and stuff, have you had input into the costumes you've put people in and what they've been wearing? Not really. <laughs> um, oh. Which... I mean, so far, so I'm only a baby playwright, so I've only had a couple of things ever been staged. And so, I, and I'm trying, you know, it, there is that thing in theatre where it's kind of like the the writer kind of needs to give away the child <laughs> at some point, yeah. right? And like, yeah. you have to, you have to trust that your costume designers and your set designers and your designers are going to design the characters and that they're going to take it. And and even the actors, you know, and I really, really appreciate when actors 
put their own thought into it and often come up with costumes that are far more suited to the character than I would ever think. <laughs> and so, you know, there is part of me that's kind of sad that I don't get to like dress up my little dolls and like, you know, <laughs> move them around the stage. But um, yeah, I I have written a couple of plays where the actors have, yeah, put so much like thought and input into how their character dresses that I've been like, okay, yeah, you get to you get to play in my little headspace now too, I guess. <laughs> okay, well since we're on sort of this topic of theatre, do any of you remember any particular costumes or um things where you were like they've got they've done a really good job with that? It doesn't have to be theatre, but like because it's just the the fashion and style and design of characters is something that I always pay a lot of attention to. I have one if other people need thinking time. Go, yeah, go. Okay. Yeah, go. Um, <laughs> the um, version of Twelfth Night that the National Theatre did that had Tamsin Gregg in. Mm. Does anyone remember that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, like that one I was just in so, I was so in awe of because it refused to be pinned down to an era or a style or anything like that. But it was mm. still so cohesive. And I was just like, I, I, because I could never have created something like that myself. Like, I'm not a student of fashion or anything like that. And so, like, my approaches to designing things are, are very like, this is the theme down the line. We'll make, we'll work with whatever theme we, I've come up with or whatever. But like, the way that they did that was so, like, just beyond anything I could have created myself, and so impressive that because it was like interesting to watch and yeah like like with all of the staging on it of it and everything it just refused to be one thing it refused to be like and this is set in this era no it's not like we've got sunglasses but also like <laughs> massive fancy dresses or and then sometimes <laughs> someone's wearing leggings who knows like it but it all worked together so brilliantly mm. like mm. i was so impressed by the design of that show it's kind of funny i was genuinely also actually thinking of that production but um, <gasps> yeah so <laughs> Um, for me, I've got a very dear friend called Amy Jackson, uh, and she's an incredibly talented costume designer. Um, and she used to design all of the Trish Festival Youth Theatre productions, but also like loads of other stuff as well. But I was so utterly blessed to like go to that youth theatre because it's one of the best in the country. And our costumes were so high end. I really took myself seriously as a performer Um, and she designed Mm. you know the Wizard of Oz uh, with really high-end conceptual stuff very sort of visually appealing it wasn't just like some amateur dramatic kids show like the costumes were stunning and when I got to play Nancy and Oliver the designs that she would draw by hand uh, and then she would also draw on a digital tablet in themselves are pieces of art and Mm. so getting to wear the finalised version of it and to see them uh, realise physically was just so gorgeous and like getting to see that process from start to finish and to see her progress and and make even more beautiful things for like a whole range of shows or one-off events now is really exciting like it's not I don't have that skill set and so to Mm. watch someone be able to do that is really uh, a beautiful thing to be able to witness and I'm also really into like structural stuff that's almost like sculptural that it Mm. kind of goes beyond clothing and it becomes um, almost sort of a a piece of building or an architecture that is around the body. Um, And also, I don't know why now, I'm thinking about the Skeksis um, from The Dark Crystal. Mm. I just... That sort of stuff that kind of goes in between costuming and puppetry. I feel like Mm. it kind of like is in a bit of a liminal space between the two. 
I was about to say that one of the costumes that's been in my head for like since I was a kid is that dress that um Jennifer thingy wears in Labyrinth. Oh yeah. Where it's like the where's the ball scene oh. and she has all these like tassels and ribbons and glittery things in her hair mm. and um this massive silver and white sparkling dress and it just looks like such a dr- it, it looks like a dream. Like the dress literally looks like a dream. And it is a dream. She's in a hallucination. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then David Bowie turns up <laughs> and he's got blue highlights in his hair and this like dark blue suit and his eyeliner and eyeshadow out to here. And I'm just looking at both of them like, D- uh, yes, mm-hmm. yes, all of this. I agree. Yeah, like he got the um, assignment. He knew exactly what he was doing. <laughs> like this, the styling in Labyrinth is really interesting because... Um, the costume changes are interesting. I remember reading somewhere that um, the shirt that Sarah starts off with at the beginning gradually gets more and more fantastical and more sort of tunic-like than actually shirt-like mm. as she gets closer in. And I also really remember the sort of owl outfit that Jareth wears right at the end, where it's just like, it's all cream-coloured and covered in feathers. Yeah. And, oh, it's great. It's great. And the whole set, they just went to the set with, with glitter. They got like a, a glitter, <laughs> like a leaf blower, but for glitter. I just put it all over the place. I worked an event um, some years ago. You talking about that fantastical element where um, we were advertising um, tablets from a tech brand, uh, but they'd mm. had Mark Jacobs create a dress that housed these tablets. And then they all showed an image on them that moved. And that was the fabric of the dress. Um, wow. That stands out to me again as like a, an exciting interpretation of an outfit. Mm. In On the, the kind of fashion theme, and like I don't know many fashion designers, but it's about to sound like I do. Um, <laughs> um, for in terms of like loving structural things, mm. do you know Iris Van Herpen? I know no. the name. Oh my goodness. Look up Iris Van Herpen stuff because you would love it. Okay. Like all of her stuff is, a, is basically, it's about structure and and like parts of it move and stuff like that but it's gorgeous and it's like really really intricate i think a lot of it is like um either like laser printed and and things like that like 3d printed and stuff and it's like so incredibly delicate like there are things that look like they're really delicate bones of like a bird and stuff like that Mm -hmm. but it's all very structured and three-dimensional and things and she's done photo shoots where someone's wearing the dress doing skydiving and stuff like that it's just like her stuff is just beautiful and completely wild like oh i love it for exactly that reason like it's walking art yeah like some of these they look like people are wearing like pieces of coral or yeah 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 just like that and um she also specializes in things looking like almost like they're growing out of the skin of yeah yeah yeah. the people wearing them um yeah it's gorgeous lovely did you ever watch an anime called Jellyfish Princess? No, but that sounds great. It's a sounds really cute nice. anime. I really recommend it. Um, but it, the, so it's about this like really like nerdy person who wants to design dresses and she bases them off of these jellyfish. She, she like goes to the aquarium a lot and she sees these jellyfish and these designs, um, Iris Van uh, Herpen's dresses. Herpen look a lot like the ones that <laughs> were yeah. like inspired by jellyfish because of that like really fluid kind of line yeah, and yeah, the yeah. like very 
like ethereal natural thing where you're like it's so ethereal it doesn't look natural but it is so natural um yeah yeah, mm. yeah. another iris who i think's an absolute style icon is iris apfel um do you know her no the no. name rings a bell, but I, I can't. So there was this so much. documentary called Advanced Style, uh, and that was about women uh, over the age of 60, I think, but like being extremely stylish. Um, oh, and it's yeah. so heartening and glorious and wonderful. Um, and she's one of the, the main ones in that. And she's just absolutely... Is she famous for having like the big round black glasses? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, that is the person I was thinking of, yeah. She's such a legend. When I think of, like, people that I love and I think about the way they dress and I love it, I think, like, Angela Bassett is absolutely stunning and is just really, like, mm. has this classic, very tailored look. Iris Apple's got this, like, mad, kind of artistic, uh, vibrant look. And then I always think of Frida Kahlo and her beautiful traditional dress and just the colours and the weave and the weft and the shape and the import and the importance uh, of her clothing those kind of float around in my head sorry you said iris apfel yeah oh she was in that um she was in an advert in the cinema (laughs) turn off your phone lads i've got the glasses on (laughs) (laughs) yes i remember her i thought she looked amazing then as well good for her Good good for her do you know what I think on that, I'm going to take a break. And when we come back, I really want to talk more about drag since we have organically gotten to this conclusion. But listener, we'll see you in a minute. And welcome back. So um, we've gone on to the topic of drag, which I love. I haven't seen a lot of drag, though I would like to. Talk to me about it. Tell me how you got involved or if you've seen it or if you like it or if you haven't. Someone start off, because I can tell this is a little bit of a hot button topic. (laughs) Well, I mean, I I started drag by starting to do burlesque classes and being like, I like this. This is fun. Oh, this is basically Ah. drag. Drag and burlesque are the same thing. Um, (laughs) And I I get to go to drag shows and I basically really, really enjoy watching drag. Um, Mm. And so when I perform, it's just like, cool, I get to see a show for free. That's awesome. Um, (laughs) And also it's a way of doing theatre without having to rely on other people, which it's hard. Um, (laughs) That is that is an appealing aspect of it. What about you, Francesca? Uh, I got into drag because I was having a very difficult time with a fizzy brain, 2014 particularly. And I Mm. started watching RuPaul's Drag Race, which I understand is obviously uh, pretty problematic in many ways, but obviously that is evolving. But, you know, there's definitely a lot of... uh, ground to cover um, and I'm part of a drag scene whereby we are pushing forward for better representation and inclusivity uh, and for the same opportunities for you know our trans siblings uh, and performers from a variety of different ethnic backgrounds who are not being given as much um, platforming mm-hmm. so all of that being said that was where I sort of entered into it visually my mum used to go on about drag queens all the time um she used to talk about her friends bob and barry her two gay mates i mean she wasn't particularly um the most politically correct person but she was trying and so obviously when i was a little uh queer button uh (laughs) she sort of took me to drag shows and it would happen a little bit and i got into rupaul's drag race and it gave me something to think of 
and to get my mind off of stuff, really. It was just this fantastical escape of people who equally had probably had a bit of a tough road to hoe. Um, mm. And I'd been a performer all my life. And again, I would totally agree with you that it is uh, theatre without having to rely on everybody else. But when you do get to rely on people and it's symbiotic and beautiful, it's an absolute stunner because you get community and really beautiful things. And it was an exploration of different facets of myself as a performer. And mm. it just felt punk and anarchic. And, you know, in the East London drag scene is so different to the North London drag scene, to the South London drag scene. Oh. And then the rest of the country, it's like this incredible patchwork within this country and in other countries internationally of so many extremely creative and brave, beautiful people. And I thought, yeah. I reckon that looks good. I'll try that on. Excellent. Nima, do you have any experience uh, watching drag or being involved in it? I don't. I Drag is one thing that I haven't really been involved in. But I, I did want to say, like, recently, I guess, in British, British theatre, there has been... Mm. Um, so I, I saw a performance of Twelfth Night at the Globe Theatre, which had a drag queen in it. Um, she's called Le Gâteau Chocolat. And she's mm-hmm. so incredible. I love her so much. She's also an opera singer. And <gasps> it was just such a, like, it was such a beautiful... So the Globe Theatre, she just kind of emerges singing opera. Um, she's, like, quite a, a big black lady with a full, thick beard in, like, a oh, I love it. beautiful ball gown. And, like, in, in a show like Twelfth Night, where it's so much about gender play and, mm. like, costume and... Yeah, it was just such a... I I was watching it and I was like, oh yeah, like, you know, things like this can happen and it be used as not just a, what am I trying to say? Like, I feel like I have seen quite a few drag shows and I really enjoy them. Uh, and I, I love what they are in, in performance and that they can be so many versatile things and, and watching this drag performer in a play was like, oh yeah, drag can be this as well. It can be, uh, we can see drag in so many different places mm-hmm. and mm. yeah I, I just think it's a really cool art form and obviously in in things like Shakespeare where you where you're already playing with like actor gender and mm. character gender things like drag and yeah I, I just found it so, like it's so memorable and I still yeah. think about it to this day <laughs> I love Legato Chocolat as well. Their show Icons that I saw at Soho Theatre was absolutely sublime and their voice is divine. Um, So hard agree with you there. I also Mm. think it's really interesting though that within the world of drag that there is like a lot of um, misogyny, trans misogyny and other issues in terms of like not having the same spaces for like non-cis white male performers and Mm. sometimes this adherence to the gender binary you're out there saying like oh yeah whatever damn the patriarchy and down with the binary but then you know AFAB performers or people who've been socialised as female are not given the same platform and you're you're told that it's kings or queens or it's just queens that you want but actually there are drag monarchs drag monsters, <laughs> drag things drag, drag princes with exes and without exes like there is a whole universe of possibility and all drag is valid and for anybody to like step out there and be like no this is not how it's done they're just reinforcing the societal norms and like I totally agree with you to see it in a theatre show you know you've got Death Drop the Play at the moment 
mm. which is an all uh, drag performer cast. Um, I think there's so many possibilities and I think it should be normalised and people should see themselves represented 110%. Mm. No, I totally agree. Like the 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 drag that um I that really got me into it and that I really opened my eyes is is like the indie stuff like the stuff that you will go to a a theater that is near you and or like a a pub or whatever that is near you and it's like when you're at school and you learn all, all of the rules of writing right mm. and it's just like and these mm. are the rules of sentence structure and these are the rules of like, like how you form everything and then you go and then there's poetry and you throw all of those rules away <laughs> um, and uh. like it's it's it was that thing of going like you know how you've learned that there are kinds of art that are valid like yeah. this is art mm. and this is not art when you go to like a drag show or like a an indie cabaret show what it does is literally just go like no no this is a stage and if someone decides to do something on the stage that is their art and this mm. is a place where we celebrate that like yeah it's so phenomenally freeing to just be like oh no you don't you don't have to do anything you can't you can you you don't have to fit in a box you don't have to tick Mm -hmm. anything like you don't you can do whatever speaks to you and there are places where people will go yes just yes and that lends itself so brilliantly to supporting people who are not who 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 can't find places in mainstream art Mm -hmm. and it's Mm -hmm. so ridiculous to me like this is something that I've been like writing about recently is like things like burlesque are really like, I don't know, like side-eyed by mainstream society mm. as superficial, right? A spe- strip strip art in general is really side-eyed mm. as it's like, well, it's just about the body and it's just like, it's really sexist and all this kind of stuff. Whereas like other dance forms like ballet are considered to be like, this is high art. This, this, yeah. this mm. transcends those kind of superficial interests of just sort of like oh you know it's just about about what your body looks like i have never been in a room more concerned with the size of my body than a um, ballet class and i have never been in a room Mm -hmm. less concerned with what my body looks like than a burlesque dance class like Mm -hmm. it is the entire opposite Mm -hmm. and and that yeah but it is like in in mainstream art and and because a lot of it is about monetary success it celebrates and reifies a really certain specific kind of art and then it excludes other people who can't yeah. access or can't produce that art often like because of monetary constraints or all sorts of other things like lack of rep- representation or that kind of stuff they don't see themselves in it mm-hmm. whereas because drag is kind of underground and punk and it's still often with some exceptions in that like indie space it is that place to just be like no you can do anything anything is art your body your body is art like I don't care that you've not seen it in other places. Your body is art and it can do art. And I just mm. love that about it. And like, yeah. I, yeah, I, I will fight to keep drag that and not let it become that thing of like, no, you've got to tick these boxes. You're, it's not drag unless you do X, Y, Z. Like that's rubbish. 110%. <laughs> and I'd say like, you know, Ruby Jones, Three Wise, Prince Chio, yes. Romeo De La Cruz. I think, you know, those individuals typify that as well. And Christ- the Christine machine is... Have you ever seen uh, the Christine Machine? No, no, not they're an at American all. performer, but they're like absolutely gorgeously vile and stunning and horrific, and all at the same time. <laughs> and they make my heart so happy because they're just so otherworldly. And I would, I think they kind of almost fall into the the world of Buffon uh, in terms mm. of clowning. But I would really highly recommend checking them out, Nemo. Earlier, you were going to say something about drag, and I can't remember what it was. 
Yeah, I'm. I was actually thinking. So with what Mabel was just saying about like, um, kind of pushing the needle with performers and stuff. This is actually not about drag, but it is still about costumes. So bear with me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, Let's go for it. But actually, uh, Francesca also mentioned it at the beginning, like about punk and about trans- transgressive like clothing. And in in and I was thinking about this episode, and I was thinking about cosplay, and I was thinking about um, the Japanese trend of ganguro, mm-hmm. which uh, it's so it um, because of. Japanese beauty standards of uh, like pale skin, straight dark hair, being very thin, being very petite, that I'm half Japanese as well. I feel like I should say that because I'm talking about a culture um, that this is something that I'm aware of that. um, So teenage girls would start like dyeing their hair like bleach blonde and darkening their skin and there is like some political stuff about it like there could Mm. there can be a whole conversation about black facing and there can be a whole conversation about um yeah the politics of darkening your skin and for these people it was a way of showing that they would not tolerate being in this system anymore that Mm. was like focused on like skin like bleach that whiteness of your skin to the point of bleaching it um yeah and my aunt is someone who doesn't go outside without wearing like full-length black clothing in order to make sure that her skin stays like milky white because of the like yeah yeah And, and so what these girls would do was yeah like make themselves look as quote unquote unappealing as possible and I really liked that and that became like a, a fashion style. It became something that people went to go and see because it was like, wow, you're like doing activism by like body modding and, and that kind of stuff. Mm. And um, <laughs> yeah, it made me think when you were talking about drag and about these performers who are, because it's about like heightening things, right? I mean, from my like mm-hmm. t- outsider's perspective, it seems to me as if it's about heightening things, but also like making things I guess romanticizing things that are monstrous or have been termed monstrous or like reclaiming things and pushing mm. things. And I just really like, like it made me think of these girls who who did that and there have been like other trends in Japan since then. Um, but yeah, it's, it's like thinking about what is ugly, thinking about like beauty standards, thinking about very culturally specific beauty standards and how they mm. get created into costumes and uh, that's a whole other conversation about like cultural appropriation and stuff which I know that we don't have conf- like time for <laughs> but yeah I, I really like enjoyed listening to this conversation because it was it is so interesting to see how even if you're not part of an industry everyone is sort of like thinking about the same things And talking about Mm. them in different ways and using Mm. costume to talk about them in different ways. And even if you wouldn't call Ganguro drag, it still has the same, like, base underneath it. Yeah. That's super interesting. Thank you for sharing. For me, it comes down to the fact that I think um, clothing is political. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Um, Just fundamentally. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I love that. And the freedom to think that your clothing is not political is also in itself part of politics yeah yeah but yeah no like one of my one of my favorite um 
quotes and what I can't and I can't even assign it to anyone. And also it's been bastardized a billion times. But <laughs> like for a fat woman to love herself is a political act. And fundamentally yes. for anyone to love their appearance is a political act because mm, capitalism yes. is built around telling us we're inadequate <laughs> so it can sell us more things to make us more yeah. palatable. And so just like just loving the way that you look is political in and of itself. Mm, it is a rejection mm-hmm. of everything trying to tell you that you are inadequate. Yeah. Um, but then there's like all sorts of other things on top of it. Like as a fat person, um, I it is so difficult to find, and especially I am very unusually proportioned um, and it is pretty much impossible to find tops that fit me. They don't really mm-hmm. exist. Mm. Um, and I have only recently started like making uh, some of my own clothes and the like awe I felt the first time I wore something that was made to fit me yeah. was mm. wild. Mm. Like it, I, I cannot convey to people who are straight sized the sheer joy of putting something on your body and realizing that your body is not wrong when the clothes (laughs) are made to fit it. Like, oh, I can look, I can have joy in clothing because it fits me now. Like that is such a joyous thing to feel. Mm. And like it, it is, it is denied to so many people because of like the way that fast fashion works and the way that clothes are made on a very specific kind of, of mannequin and form. Mm. Um, Mm. But like, yeah, so much of clothing is political. And oh my god, going back to the um the Met Gala thing, the notes on camp uh theme was like such a great demonstration of that and how I don't know, I like how some people really, really understood that and how some people didn't quite understand that. Yeah. But like the I I think the the best explanation of camp that I had because lots of people were trying to define it in like the after well in the run-up and in the aftermath of, mm. of that particular one was someone who basically said like camp is a rejection of the male gaze of the like heterosexual mm. male gaze mm. um it's it's going like I will dress in a way that does not cater to you at mm. all and I really really like that as a description of it and it's it, really it, interesting. Yeah, it opened it up to mean so much more than just like over the top and I'm wearing pink and like it's mm. really big and all that kind of stuff that you generally associate with drag queens and stuff like that. It's just like, no, it doesn't have to be that. It's just a rejection of this has to be palatable for heterosexual men. <laughs> like, mm. It's so tough, though, because I feel like even though my logical brain says all of these things to me, I definitely do have those moments where I'm like, oh, do I look good? And then I'm like, oh, (laughs) stop it. Like, you don't owe anyone pretty, but it's this constant fight, particularly, I think, if you're a millennial um, or an elder millennial, if you look at the coverage of clothing and bodies during that time, it was some of the most toxic there has ever been. And so I think that there's a lot to unpack there. And, and, and also in regards to when you're talking about clothing being political, uh, the, the, the real strength of the politics of it as well is these hidden figures who are not being paid enough, who are making these things for us to mm. look pretty, but they're not even able to survive. Like these mm. women, children, men who are like working away in factories, like, yeah, there's like a political ramification to literally everything in the world. And for yeah, yeah. people to be like... I'm not political. It makes me want to vom in my own <laughs> mouth. <laughs> I want to try and talk about, it can be any kind of clothing. For my examples, I'm going to pick a costume, but like something that's made you feel like powerful or good about yourself. I want us to round off on talking about that because I think 
looking back on it now, like um, regular listeners of the show will know that <laughs> that I um, recently this year realized that I'm gender fluid, right? Mm. And then I did that thing where you look back through your life and you're like, oh, right, yeah, <laughs> I see. <laughs> um, and one of those moments was when I went to a convention and I was dressed as uh, the Winter Soldier. Mm. And I swear I have never felt more powerful than when most of my face was covered up. Yeah. And, um, and there was like, you could barely tell anything about any of my gender markers or anything. But the idea that I could like, that I could see and recognize people and they could not see me. Mm. It was really bizarre and still, and so intense, the power that I felt wearing that costume and I had that again when I started experimenting with like different types of clothing, mm. like seriously. And I was like, oh, I can look like this. Mm. Oh, I see. This is very interesting. But yeah, that cosplay as the Winter Soldier has really stuck with me. Mm. I also think a lot about how a lot of the, I mean, I don't, I don't make it a habit, but a lot of the cosplays I've done have involved masks in some way. Like I um, mm. uh, dressed up as the Witch King one time. Mm. And I got like a special pointy helmet with a sort of a balaclava thing underneath. I dressed up as uh, Gaster, who is from Undertale. And I had like a white mask on with like spooky face drawn on it. (laughs) So I think a lot of costuming as well can be to do with what it is to see and be seen Mm, as well. And so for me, it was like the, the power dynamic got completely shifted for me. Mm. I guess that's what I'm trying to to say. Mm. That's very cool. Yeah, it was like, you might look, but you can't see. <laughs> it's, it's a weird What's thing. That, like, I, I sort of know a weird fact that connects what you've just said with the thing about um, Japan and fashion. Um, oh, go for it. Which is like, there, there was a trend for like face keenies, precisely for what you were talking about, about like people not wanting to expose their skin to the sun. Mm. Um, Mm. And so like basically swimwear that like entirely covered your (laughs) face as well. It almost looked like club kid kind of masks. Mm. Um, And then people realizing they felt so confident Mm. and so like just entirely different sides of them coming out because it was the anonymity of having that, of just being like, I cannot be identified. You, You can't, like you don't know me kind of thing yeah so i just thought that was a really weird link um (laughs) no it makes sense but and also i think because we can't just like leave it there i think it's a very different experience to choosing to wear a mask than having to wear a mask because there is a virus outside that can kill you but (laughs) we will move swiftly on (laughs) (laughs) um nemo is there any kind of clothing or costume that has made you feel particularly happy or powerful or good yeah like again we're very similar in that um so the one i immediately thought of was i cosplayed baze malbus from uh star wars and it was watching Rogue One was the first time really that I'd seen like a Western film with a like chunky Asian dude with like long Mm. hair who wasn't like a martial arts pro and he was just like really tired (laughs) and he was really (laughs) cool and funny and like just like really human Mm. and so I cosplayed him and it was like he has these like 
this like really long hair and at the time I had very short hair but right now I have very long hair because like mm-hmm. after after cosplaying him and I cosplayed him like bef- just as I was starting testosterone and it was such a like oh wow I can feel so masculine and cool and like funny and like like this character and confident while having really long hair and while not looking like manly man and I think there Mm. is that thing of like yeah gender and race uh the like intersections of it where if you are only watching western media you don't get to see played with Mm. um especially with east asian men who are often like uh made effeminate and Mm -hmm. um east asian women who are like highly sexualized and highly fetishized and so this like yeah this like bays malbus saved my life kind of thing where like (laughs) every time i look at photos of that cosplay and i'm like ah i just it's so cool (laughs) and um now i've like it because lockdown happened I was like oh just grow my hair out and see what happens and now I really love having really long hair and I didn't think that I would ever come to the place where I would like Mm. have that so yeah that's oh I'm so happy for you also like Rogue One is very underrated (laughs) so underrated I I really liked it (laughs) such a good film (laughs) (laughs) Mabel how about you you mentioned the top that you were able to make for yourself is there anything else that you would like to yeah, well, so in that theme, just generally, there was a, I don't, you can't pinpoint it, but there was a point at which I went, I really like crop tops. Like, I <laughs> oh. really, really like crop tops. <laughs> Love a crop top. And like now 90% of what I wear when I'm not at work or whatever is crop tops because I love them and I love the way I look at them. And I can so vividly remember the point in my life not that long ago where it would be like, oh, nobody wants to see that. Mm. and it just like for some reason that is not me anymore and that's glorious mm. that's a glorious feeling i love crop i'm tops. very happy i will wear them till the day i die um <laughs> but in terms of costuming and stuff oh there's so many things that i absolutely love like um there's a couple bits from some of my acts that um spring like i i have an act where i'm thanos um <laughs> oh, and love um i strip as sexy thanos um and um i i had made some middle finger nipple pasties um and i made them in like sparkly gold oh my god my housemate who is a genius uh, so i'd made them in like sparkly gold and um he was just like just put the infinity stones on them so now i have middle finger nipple pasties with the infinity stones on oh my god like infinity gauntlet nipple pasties and they are glorious things along with like these like gold cage panties that i made um and like there are some photos of me in that and like the 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 remnants of of that act where um it like it it just means so much to me because it was like the point at which i i was happy to do strip stuff and like it's it's me like i'm almost universally putting up middle fingers in all of the photos and also there's <laughs> confetti everywhere because that's part of the act as well um and it's just like it's so powerful and important to me like that mm. feeling that i now have access to of just sort of like like hey i made these things and i'm proud of that like i with you know some artistic help from my housemate um 
but also like what it means about who I am and where I where I am in my relationship to myself is like a big deal for me. Um, and also the fact that I don't consider that act to be particularly femme, despite mm. the fact that like I I do consider myself to be a drag queen. Like I because I'm Thanos in it, I don't consider it to be particularly gendered. It's just my body making a point about like judgment of fat bodies um mm. i'm sounding really one note at the moment fatness um <laughs> no like, no i am on board but like it's it's just I, but i don't consider it to be a particularly gendered act at all mm. and so like aesthetically it, i just i just really really enjoy it. it yeah so that's that's sort of a, a big one for me mm. oh, i'm glad francesca how about you I think like when I first started really inhabiting my drag character, that definitely has changed my relationship to my own gender. Um, because again, I've also sort of realised that I'm probably uh, genderqueer mm. and that feels like a more comfortable space for me to be in. Um, and I think that that for me, there were like two kind of extremes whereby I felt extremely powerful when I wore a really nice suit for the first time. Mm. Mm. I think that the context is extremely important for me, even more so than the clothes sometimes, because I can wear anything in any context and not feel particularly powerful or or disempowered. Um, Context is quite key. But um, Mm. yeah, I think me being a teenager wearing criminal damaged jeans and like just massive hoodies and stuff, (laughs) I just felt pretty rocking, to be honest. And I don't think I've really moved past that space in many ways. Oh, I'd forgotten the name of that brand, Criminal Damage. We used to get Rising Damp. I couldn't afford the uh, bus fare back to the village because uh, I moved out of London for a bit. And so that was it. Just sat soggy and wet in a coffee shop with one coffee between 20 people. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> God, I remember you used to get the catalogues. <laughs> That's massive jeans. Yes. Anyway, yeah, I'm sorry, thrown back into my own days. <laughs> a little punk teenager in the north of England, soggy up to the knees. Because <laughs> oh, it's always raining. Soggy, soggy. Um, <laughs> okay, we've definitely come to time now. This has been such an enlightening talk. <laughs> we've managed to talk about so much stuff. I'm so pleased. Thank you so, so much for coming on. Thank you for having us. us. I'm glad you're pleased and I wasn't being naughty. I have got ADHD, so like my brain does the thing. Oh, don't worry about that. Oh, so do I. Yay! (laughs) Full house. Everybody is welcome, particularly the neurodivergent. There's a lot of that. And you are all very worthy and valid and we love you. Thank you. And on that... Listeners, I hope you've had a good time as well and learned some things. I certainly have. I will see you on the next episode. But for now, it's goodbye from me. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from them. Do you want to say goodbye, everyone? Goodbye, everyone. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Wear more crop tops. Enthusiasm is a podcast distributed by Rusty Quill and licensed under Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 4.0 International License. It is created and hosted by Helen Gould, produced by April Sumner, and edited by Marissa Ewing. Thanks for listening. <laughs>